Hi, and welcome back to OA On Air via social distancing. I'm Kyan Isaacson. This week, it's 321 Go with Cosmo Mazzaro. Then, I speak with Major Marcus Jugenheimer from the Salvation Army Massachusetts Division about their back-to-school celebration. And in two minutes with Tom, Tom and I are talking the Democratic Convention. First up, 321 Go. Hello and welcome to another edition of 321 Go on OA On Air, our weekly look into the world of public affairs, culture, business, and the economy. I'm your host, Cosmo Macero. Joining me here on 321 Go is Kyan Isaacson. Hello. There it is. <laughs> the official voice of OA On Air. It's been a while since we had the official hello. Really? 321 hello. Uh, yeah. Well, here it is. Well, I'm try, try, trying really to bring back it. some normalcy. Oh trying to bring back the old intro to three, two, one, go. Get some normalcy back since uh, we can't really count on uh, pandemic life returning to normal anytime soon. No, nope. and it's it's the little things that get you through. It does. They are. It is. <laughs> <laughs> None of those responses made sense. Anyways, great to be talking again, Cayenne. Let's dig right in with Amazon and shopping malls. Big story in the Wall Street Journal suggests that Amazon and Simon Properties Group, one of the major American shopping mall real estate companies, are talking about putting certain anchor spaces, Sears, JCPenney, to use as major regional distribution hubs for Amazon, which on the one hand, I think is very good news that that, in many cases, vacant space uh, can be repurposed in that way. I'm a little puzzled as to how that fits in with the traditional shopping mall model, though that model is probably uh, significantly altered in a permanent way because of the pandemic. What do you think? So I guess my question is, is when they say fulfillment center, are they saying it's a place that we can come and pick up orders? Or is it a place where their team is fulfilling orders? Because either way, it certainly doesn't seem to really fit in with how we think of a mall. But that was my first question. And then my my other takeaway is it is incredibly interesting to me when we talk about a company that began online, strictly online as a book retailer, has now grown into a behemoth organization that really does everything. You can shop and buy just about anything via Amazon and is now transitioning to brick and mortar space, not as much as they are online, but to accompany their online offerings. While we're, we've seen so many other companies do the opposite, which is begin as a brick and mortar store and then transition to fully online, they kind of defy what the rest of retail and the economy is doing. It's true. You're absolutely right. This is not new, but certain retailers like Walmart are doing the opposite, not to go fully online, but to integrate in the same way. It's just that they started at brick and mortar and they are working on building up their online fulfillment and online presence. So uh, to be more competitive with Amazon, but just separate but related topic. Here's a couple of things that I think are interesting. And one is and I, and I guess I'm an old timer enough to, to fully understand, recall, and appreciate the major role that retailers like JCPenney and even and much more so Sears played as an all-purpose kind of retail choice. Uh, everything from household appliances and clothing 
to sporting goods and tools and automotive services and everything under the sun was sort of available at Sears. And one of the services was not a late Sears era service. This was always sort of a fundamental where you would either order online, order from the catalog or order in the store. And then sort of later on, either at a different date or later in that same day, you'd kind of head down to shipping and receiving or a fulfillment section of the big Sears footprint. And, you know, your product, your your purchase would come down a conveyor belt and you'd, you'd be off with it. So I think that there's some infrastructure that probably makes sense for Amazon. I, I, I don't know the answer to the question. Is this really just going to be a distribution center or there will, you know, will you be able to go there and, and pick up things? It, it feels like it, it could be a hybrid of those. In the same way Whole Foods has those lockers, there are other locations with Amazon lockers. I think that that may be possible. I'm curious. By the way, there's 14 Simon Properties malls in Massachusetts and, and all over the place, including in downtown Boston. And it's Copley, Auburn, Burlington, you name it. How does this support the traditional shopping mall model? Can that even be supported to keep it alive? I actually had occasion to to go to a mall recently that to, to pick up something and it was a very depressing experience because the mall is open and 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 almost nobody is there yeah i i wonder i think it could be twofold on the one hand i think malls look very different i went to a mall i remember in december leading up to christmas on a saturday afternoon and it just wasn't that crowded which to me was incredibly indicative of how we all shop now but you know amazon is one of the largest, I guess, industrial tenants in greater Boston already, this would take them to just a whole other level, which really just takes their retail takeover from just online to now brick and mortar. But also the optimist, I guess, in me says, is Amazon taking over these spaces and paying the rent on these very large locations? Does that allow the malls to stay open for some of these other smaller retailers? So is it in fact helping? I don't know. That might be incredibly idealistic, but maybe that's the idea. Like maybe that's what Simon is thinking is if they can't get these spaces filled, will their malls survive? And if they don't, then, you know, the little carts and the other smaller retailers that may not be small businesses, but definitely smaller retailers uh, may not have the option to have space anymore so maybe it's necessary for everyone's survival yeah no i I agree well we'll see i mean i think that the the traditional mall experience is is absolutely i'm not gonna say it's over but it's absolutely going to change i I don't think you'll see the revival of the uh, the standard mall food court those anchor restaurants, you know, the Cheesecake Factory, you go to the mall for a few hours, you do some shopping with your family, you, you have fun, and then you have a big meal. And I don't know, you know, that doesn't seem like it's it's going to come back in the same way. And, and I, I think the shopping mall has been through, really, only in about in about 50 years' time, multiple transformations. And, and, and I think we're about to go through another one, and maybe this is part of it. Perhaps. We'll see. We'll see if the deal goes through. All right, Cayenne. Thanks.
All right, Kyan, let's talk about cancel culture. Uh, a piece in the New York Times by Jonah Bromwich, in which the writer basically says, you know what? I'm going to stop using the phrase cancel culture. It's not fully evident to me exactly why, but maybe you can enlighten me. My gut tells me that he feels like it's no longer being used the way it was originally intended. But to your point, he doesn't really fully get into it. He did speak about it, as he noted, on a couple episodes of The Daily, which I will admit I have not had a chance to watch yet. But he talks about really how it began in 2018 and that it originally, he says, circulated as a joke on Black Twitter. It began then becoming more widely used to describe something that was playing out on social media, which was when someone did something wrong, they were, quote unquote, canceled. There have been arguments that as the concept developed and went over time, people were almost no longer allowed to make mistakes. They were just immediately canceled. Exactly. Exactly. By the way, I, I believe what you're looking for is the term phenomenon. I believe it's a phenomenon. <laughs> but you're absolutely right. But that was the idea. It was all of a sudden we were giving no wiggle room for human beings to be human, which is by definition to be imperfect. And did we take, was it taken too far? And he also notes, which I think is one of the more interesting parts of his story and this phenomenon, is that it was a development, he says, in the way that power works, a development brought about by social media, that you could be canceled on social media, and that then translated into reality and real life. And what a testament to the power of social media that is. Well, that was an excellent explanation. That was terrific. Here's why I actually avoid using that term, because I believe it sounds like, or it makes, it, makes you sound like, among at least some audiences, like you are dismissive of, or that you are not taking seriously the very genuine sort of reckonings there have been in gender equality, in, in the, the, the Me Too movement, uh, and now in racial equality and Black Lives Matter, it, because some people do use it in a way where they're dismissive of, of those things, and they they throw around, toss around cancel culture. So I avoid it for that reason, but I got to tell you, I do believe that we are living in an age of complete intolerance for fallibility. You are at high risk of serious damage to your ability to make a living, support your family, have a career or a life if you make a big mistake. And in making a big mistake, yes, it, it can be saying something that people understand now is very insensitive or, or discriminatory or could be seen in that way. Or, or it could be something lesser than that. But but if you make a certain kind of mistake, it, it, including the kind of jokes that you tell, I, I think we've seen a whole category of comedians just absolutely taken out. Some for serious, you know, kind of, you know, shocking and gross offenses. Louis C.K. comes to mind, comedian, brilliant comedian guy I, I really loved for many years. And then he admits to this kind of disgusting habit he had i won't go into it uh and and yeah he he has attempted to come back from the canceling 
and and, um, and and with varying levels of success. But then there are people who have really done no more, nothing worse than say something that offended one person or a few people or be perceived as a bully because of the way they behave in the workplace. Things that, you know, behaviors that maybe you want to uh, adjust or improve upon in your life. But should your entire ability to, you know, sort of exist in the professional world be ruined? That's why I call it sort of an age of intolerance. And I, and you put it perfectly. You can't make a mistake. Yeah. And I mean, don't get me wrong. There are mistakes and things that people have said that should not be forgiven. And they deserve to be knocked down as many rungs on the ladder as necessary. But not everything. And I think that's what what this gets to and where it almost got out of hand is, you know, somebody could tweet something and, and people didn't like it. And all of a sudden you saw a stream of replies of, you know, canceled, canceled, canceled. And then you'd see a headline the next day, why insert here is canceled. And it, there are certainly people who have done absolutely horrifying things that deserve to not be given attention anymore. But the idea that there is no room for error is, you know, it's unfair, <laughs> number one, because we all make mistakes where none of us are, are perfect and expecting that from it, because a lot of times this gets attributed to public figures, attributing that level of expectation is is also unfair, not to, you know, feel bad for all the famous people, but it's an interesting concept and has become a part of our vernacular in a whole different way. and to the the earlier point of you know what he spoke about is that it all developed on social media and it became a part of our everyday life as a result so anyone who's ever underestimated a tweet or a facebook post or what have you i've always told people that when talking about social media etiquette and policies and just ways to to do it if you hesitate even for a moment about what you're about to write, just delete it. It's not worth it. Probably hesitated for good reason. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Howard Stern built his entire career doing the exact opposite, right? If, if, if you read his book, there's a, uh, you know, uh, private parts. He said, anytime I, I paused and thought, I probably shouldn't say this, I knew it was the right thing to say, meaning the right thing is in the provocative, of, you know, often offensive thing. But that wouldn't, he wouldn't have survived today. Probably not. He, he wouldn't have survived developing and building a career now. You know, yeah. he's at a point where he's sort of uh, not, not untouchable, but he's at a point where it doesn't really matter to him what people say or think. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, you're right. It's a very different environment. And look, that's that's it's, it's the world we're living in right now, for better or worse. But there you go. Pretty fascinating topic, and and I think uh, we will see the you know the evolution of public tolerance for error you know change further as uh, as we go on all right Kyan. all right finally Kyan, donald trump president trump in his ongoing war with tiktok has embraced tiktok's chief rival triller i guess that's their chief, chief uh, tiktok's chief rival triller actually has existed longer than tiktok but certainly plays second banana to that popular social media platform. You know, you can't argue that Donald Trump, even though he, he, you know, 
attacks social media platforms on a regular basis, even though he was at he'll on any given day he's at war with Twitter. He, he's he's their, he's clearly their most famous user of all time, and, and, and he's in a war with TikTok, and now he is he's embraced Triller. He's on Triller. I had okay. never heard of Triller until he announced it. So congrats. Yeah, I felt out of touch for someone in communications until about the fifth colleague in communications said, "Yeah, what's Triller? What, what is that?" So yeah. Yes, I thought I thought I was just aging quickly, but apparently it's just not that well known. It is now. Who knows what will happen now that Trump has a verified account on on this rival app? And it, you know, he's he's been at war. He wants someone to buy TikTok. He thinks that it's he's pointing to threats to national security. If 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 all of that is real, then that is something we should take seriously. And maybe we'll now have multiple apps to choose from for these TikTok videos. I'm not on TikTok either, so um, I don't have too much to offer in ways of how that will all work. But more power to Triller, I guess. We'll see. We'll see what happens to their number one, their stock. I would I would guess maybe this week if they're a publicly traded company, and if all of a sudden they see an onslaught of signups. All right. So Donald Trump always making news on social media this week. It's Triller. There we go. Good luck to Triller. All right, Kyan, thanks a lot. That's going to do it for another edition of 321 Go, recorded remotely. <laughs> Our producer is Catherine O'Brien. I'm Cosmo Macero. So this week, the Salvation Army Massachusetts Division, together with TD Garden, held its annual back-to-school celebration. I am joined by Major Marcus Jugenheimer of the Salvation Army Massachusetts Division. Major Marcus, welcome. Thank you for joining me. Thank you very much for having me. So this is always a really exciting event every year. But of course, the distribution looked very different than other years. Can you talk a little bit about what this back-to-school celebration is annually and then really how you, you and the team work? to adapt within the current environment that we are living in? Yes, certainly. So typically this uh, this event is a big celebration to, to celebrate the kids going back to school and then to provide them with the backpacks and school supplies. But typically it's held at TD Garden and you'll find children running around the floor of the garden, playing games, a lot of different activities, a lot of different partners that are there to help provide wraparound services to the family. And we were in the midst of planning such an event for this year, for 2020. And then, of course, as COVID invaded greater Boston area, we needed to start pivoting those plans and recognized two things right away. Number one, that we were not going to be able to do a big celebration as had been done in the past. And that became more clear as the months moved on, but also that the children and the families who have relied upon this in the past, we're still going to be in need and perhaps greater need than in past years. And so we knew we needed to do something. And so our distribution this year looked very different. It didn't have all the fanfare and all, all of the fun of past years. We were able to move from one centralized location to distribution from three sites and moving from one day to three days of distribution, all for the purpose of trying to provide the, the safest delivery of 
the backpacks and school supplies as possible. And it, it has worked beautifully. There have been very limited lines at any of the three locations. People arrive on site and are able to get the backpack and school supplies and, and the other items that are part of that and, and go right on with, with very minimal contact. Backpacks filled with school supplies were provided to 2,500 children throughout the Boston area. It's really a great example of It Takes a Village, which anyone with kids knows is the truth. What are some of the groups and organizations that help make this event happen every year? Well, we're very grateful for the long-term partnership and sponsorship of this event by TD Garden. The event is in its ninth year and over those nine years, we've been able to give away 35,000 backpacks to Boston Public School students and Boston area students. So that's exciting. And TD Garden continued when we reached out to them this year, even in the midst of COVID and challenges that they themselves at the garden, of course, are going through. They were so happy to continue to provide the support. So TD Garden has been a great partner, garden neighborhood, charities, the city of Boston, Boston Public Schools, we worked, uh, I would say, even more closely this year with Boston Public Schools than any past years. And then we have some other partners, uh, particularly in recent years, Hope and Comfort, who has come alongside us, a charitable organization that has provided critical hygiene supplies that were added to the backpacks. So that can help the family um, kind of defray those costs. And this year, a, a new partnership with AIS, who is working on Manufacturing masks, working with professional sewers known as Rosies to create high-quality masks to help combat the spread of COVID. So each backpack also comes with a child-sized mask that they will be able to uh, have as they, whether it's going back into the classroom for on-site learning or even to have available, even if they are going to be studying remotely. So grateful for all of those partnerships and, and the opportunity that it provides for us to give even more to the families. So when people think about the Salvation Army, one of the things that we know is people automatically think of the red kettles at Christmas and are very often surprised to find out that the Salvation Army is conducting number of programs to, to children, to students, to families, to individuals, throughout the year, both at home and abroad or wherever is necessary. Uh, and this back to school distribution and celebration this week is, is an example of one of those. But what are some of the other ongoing programs in place to support families, particularly kids and students right now? Well, most people, when they think of the Salvation Army, yes, they think of the red cattle. They think of ways to give to the Salvation Army, not necessarily the ways that the Salvation Army then gives back to the community. I like to say that the Salvation Army is here to provide help for today and hope for tomorrow. Help for today by meeting the most basic of human needs, and uh, whether that be food, shelter, utilities, any way to help those immediate physical needs that people are experiencing throughout, you know, blue sky days, but certainly even more during the days of this this global pandemic. But also the hope for tomorrow, and the Salvation Army is deeply committed to providing life skills programs for adults like our culinary arts program at the Boston Croc Center to educational programming for children. And so the backpack program is helping to provide the tools necessary for a successful school year, but we also provide 
typically after school programs in, uh, in a number of communities, including Boston, that then we come alongside the children and the families, not only for the essential childcare and the after school hours, but also to help that student to find greater academic success. And we have daycare programs, again, helping kids to get off to that great start, even in the preschool years, to help them to be equipped for learning as well. But all means to try to even break that cycle of intergenerational poverty. So previously in this conversation, you noted that a lot of the individuals and families that the Salvation Army typically serves are, in many cases, struggling more so than ever this year amidst a global pandemic and just a, a difficult economy. If people want to get involved or volunteer or donate, where can they find more information? Well, I would encourage people to go to salvationarmyma.org. And when they get to that page, click the tab that says ways to help. And there they'll find information not only on donating, which certainly is a great way to come alongside the, the mission of the Salvation Army to provide that help and hope. But also, the, in order, there's a link there to be able to find out more information about volunteering. The Salvation Army is really a volunteer army that, you know, it's only by the volunteers that come alongside us that we're able to accomplish all that we have. And we've seen that very clearly in these recent months as, uh, you know, since March, since the onset of the COVID pandemic in our area, we've served now over 10,700,000 meals across the Commonwealth. And from wow. our officers, Salvation Army officer and employees, staff, much great sacrificial service has been done. But alone, we couldn't do that without the many, many volunteers who have come alongside and helped us to support our neighbors in need. That is a lot of meals. <laughs> wow. Well, thank you for, for joining us this week and for everything that you and the, and the whole team are doing. And come back and talk to us again. Would love to. Thank you again for having me. Thank you. Hey, Cayenne. Hi, Tom. How are you? Doing fine. How are you doing? Can't complain. Busy week. It's been a very busy week. And uh, it's, you know, it's still working remotely. I think we're in, what is it, uh, sixth or seventh month or eighth month? Um, time is, time is, is a farce at this yep, point. Tom. Yeah. <laughs> so when we started this, it was the end of the end of uh, winter. It was we March, yeah. spring, and now we're almost through the end of summer in another mm -hmm. month. Anyway, we're talking about the convention today? I thought it was timely. And what do you think about a remote convention, the unconventional convention? I think that they're finding ways to do things that are innovative and perhaps might guide the way going forward. I don't know that even after the pandemic has ended and everything goes back to whatever normal looks like in the world, I don't know that we're ever going to see a convention look the way it did before. Well, at the price point, it certainly makes a difference. There's no question about that. But there is something about attending a convention as a delegate or as an observer. Having been to every convention, I think, since 1968. I was going to say, you are a, a well-traveled convention attendee. And I, 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 just love, I just love the camaraderie. I love the, uh, the conviviality. I love getting together with people from all over the country who are friends. Um, 
And in some cases, friends just once every four years, but friends, nonetheless. Yeah. Uh, hearing like and unlike, you know, attitudes towards policy and issues. But it's fun to, you know, rub shoulders with people and get an idea of how they're doing in time, how they're doing, you know, in, in, in their lives and how that applies to the politics at hand at a at a convention. So will it be like this unconventional going forward? I don't know. Uh, it'll be some kind of hybrid. I, I know that for sure. I do know one of the side effects is that if you missed anything last night, you can always pick it up the next day. You, you can stream it on live or you can catch it. You can catch it online the next day and you don't have to miss a thing. And I've, I've, done... how I've been watching it. And not that we couldn't find clips before is, you know, this isn't new in terms of the next day getting a recap and a rundown. But the way this convention was built for online platforms makes it all the more user friendly for digital, whether it's um, full, you know, watching the, these speeches in their full time, which have all been shortened, um, you know, even looking at a Bill Clinton um, four years ago, I think he spoke for over 40 minutes in his speech. His video recorded speech last night was a little over four minutes. Um, they really have tightened up um, a lot of them with that in mind that people are going to be watching this in the days after, not just tuning in live. So how do we make it more consumable? Right. Uh, right. For viewers. So it's interesting. Um, I, I think that's right. I think you get to see more people. I think there's more entertainment than I remember at any convention. Um, and it's and, and it's and it's fun. Um, the first night we talked about all the things that President Trump has done wrong. The second night we talked about why Joe Biden. Tonight it will be about why Kamala Harris. And tomorrow night, it will be the two of them in celebration for accepting the nomination. And I must tell you, um, you know, the, the, the Thursday night, the, the Thursday night activities are all important because there we are. 80 days from now, we're going to be casting a vote or in some period of time, either remotely by mail or going in person to vote. Um, it's, it's going to take place. And this is, this is the nearest springboard to the end of it. And uh, it's, it's very exciting. Yeah, I think that what I would hope is that people find ways to be energized by this, despite the fact that there's not as much energy coming through the screen um, yeah. because these people are not, you know, live in front of crowds and in the cheering and, you know, all of the balloons and the pomp and circumstance that I think make, again, I haven't been to um, a national convention, but that that energy kind of comes through the screen. It really resonates with viewers. Uh, they're doing the best they can. I think they've done a really good job in a lot of aspects, but that I think would be my one concern is we don't want this unconventional convention to dampen energy because we need it, you know, sort of elevated now more than ever. So this is the period, this is a COVID period of time where everything is different, at least now. And if, People can't go to a baseball game or a football game or a basketball game. There's certainly no reason to think that they ought to be going to a convention. So let's see the measurement of excitement after the fact. It'll be a very interesting thing to measure, and I'm kind of looking forward to it. With that, we haven't talked about COVID, but yes, we always do. There will be a brighter day. There will be a brighter day for you and your family. Thanks, Tom. 
Always nice to talk to you, Diane. That's it for this week's episode of OA On Air via social distancing. Thanks for tuning in. Talk to you next week.